For San Diegans lucky enough to still be working during the pandemic, the new normal is starting to feel normal. Whether you spend eight hours a day in your bedroom turned office, or your kitchen is now a podcasting studio, the ongoing experiment of working from home is starting to make businesses ask tough questions. Namely, is renting office space a necessity in the digital age? For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Brittany Miling, you cover small businesses for the Union-Tribune, and you've been covering working from home, and by my count, it's been 106 days since uh, the photo, video, and graphics team at the UT has been working from home. Tell us what you're hearing from businesses. How are things going as we go through this massive experiment? Well, one reason I wanted to check in and write this story is because for the longest time, everything was kind of up in the air, like, will we go back to the office? Let's just keep our office how it is and see how long this lasts. And I felt like there was this shift happening. Um, What I was just noticing on social media that more people were announcing that their companies were officially going like full time remote and they were getting and no longer going to be returning to an office and the kind of the struggle with that decision and how different workers felt about it. Uh, But that's what I'm hearing from from a handful. It's not it's definitely not everyone. But, you know, I think that a, a pretty large percentage of small to medium-sized businesses, especially, are are considering or or putting into the works uh, getting rid of their office space. Yeah, when you walk us through different scenarios, kind of like ones that are working for certain businesses and things that aren't, because I imagine it's a very individualistic kind of scenario. Yeah, the small businesses and especially the ones that are t- like tech companies. Um, have found that it's a very easy transition for them to go full remote. And there's a couple of reasons for that. They're already working with tools that well, we all now are familiar with to do work remotely. And so the transition in terms of operations was very easy. And also when you ha- only have a staff of like five or seven people, you can all get on board fairly easily. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the couple of small companies I talked to said, yeah, we didn't have even one person who didn't have an issue uh, going remote. That's not the case when you have even a mid-sized business and then the larger businesses. I don't know of really any in San Diego that have said we're getting rid of our office space. When you get to a really large workforce, there are there are times that you need to meet and uh, and come together. And and so I haven't heard of anyone that's going fully remote. That's a large employer. Mm -hmm, Certainly. And I guess uh, here's the think piece question. But is office culture dead? You know, I, I don't think so. So one of the big things that stood out to me is when you were reading articles about work from home, you see a lot of those contributor posts on Forbes or, you know, d- different platforms. And they all kind of sounded very positive about working from home. Like, oh, we've got all this flexibility now and we can be home with our kids and we can eat healthy lunches. But uh, when I actually started talking to people, I found that uh, a, a very large percentage of people um, don't like it. And so there is like I did a survey um, on just on Twitter and I had about 180 respondents and it was pretty split. Half of people loved it. Half people hate it. (laughs) And Hmm. we got a larger survey conducted by a a consulting group, about 800 people, and they had very similar findings. So this is not something that works across the board. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the biggest kind of things that make working from home work or not is do you have the space and do you have kids, particularly young kids? So why don't you walk us through those kind of two uh, problems that workers are now facing that are lucky enough to still be employed? 
interestingly, it's not the same opinion for every situation. So for example, people who have kids, you have a group of people who love being at home with their kids and they say, I far prefer this. I would like to have some of my daytime committed to my children and then I'm okay working into the evening uh, to make up for that. I like that flexibility of being able to blend my work and my um, home life. And then you have people who have young children who say, I don't like this at all. I want to be able to focus strictly on work during the work hours. I want to have that separation and then come home and be fully available for my family in the evening. I don't like the blending happening. Um, And I think we have to acknowledge that the whole COVID thing makes this more difficult because, you know, a lot of families who are already paying for childcare, they would continue to pay for childcare normally if their childcare had been available the last couple of months, but that's not been um, possible. So, you know, going forward, will that be as much of a pain point? Maybe not, Um, but that's been the topic lately. And as far as space goes, this is something that I think is a little bit more of a, a management issue, maybe even like an HR issue, is that some people, it just so happens the ones in the lower ranks don't often have space for a home office. And so we're having to, you know, you and I included, look at where, where your podcasting studio is, look at where my yep. desk is, this is in my bedroom. And it makes it very difficult to have any kind of separation between your home life and your work life. It feels kind of intrusive into your home. And uh, people who are in the higher ranks, they have the luxury of space. They can have a home office where they can shut the door and things, you know, are, are quiet and it's easy to focus. And so I think you're seeing a bit of a divide depending on where you are in a hierarchy about whether you feel comfortable working out of your home or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my solution to this is I put a smart plug. So whenever I'm off, it turns off. So I'm not bothered by the sounds of email coming in after hours, which has been a godsend, honestly. That's smart. Yeah, you need that separation. Mm-hmm. And there's also this thought of doing a hybrid model that when it's finally more safe, you know, right now things are looking pretty bad with the pandemic, then the coming months, assuming we're able to, you know, not make further mistakes, there will be this kind of hybrid model in which people go into office sometimes, maybe it's a mix of co-working spaces. When do you explain what could happen in that kind of future? So this is when I talk to management or executives, this seems to be the preferred way to go about this is the hybrid model, not totally getting rid of your space, but maybe downsizing the square footage of how much space you're, you're renting and having staggered shifts. You know, some people may just come in Tuesday, Thursday, some people Wednesday, Friday. And, um, the the downside of that is that it sounds like that model requires more, um, sharing of equipment. So you Mm -hmm. might not have your own dedicated desk space, depending on how your company wants to go about it. Um, if they're really trying to get the bang for their buck in terms of space, they might do more of a hot desk kind of situation like co-working spaces do. Um, a lot of people I talked to, workers, said this is their number one preferred method because they don't really love working from home all the time because there's a social element to work that you really miss out on. Um, and they don't really want to be at the office full full time because then they lose all this great flexibility that they've had. And so the hybrid model is like that sweet spot. And some companies, um, they don't, you know, it's not worth it to them to keep on a space for the hybrid, especially if they have just like 10 people on staff. And they've been more into the idea of, okay, if you're one of those workers that doesn't have space and and doesn't like working from home, we'll cover the expense of you getting a desk at a co-working space so that you can get out of your apartment. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned several things in that that I want to follow up on. Let's start with the kind of the business lease element. What do we know about 
you know, businesses making the decision to say, hey, we don't need this space anymore. What are we going to do? Okay, so I had a really interesting conversation about this with um, David Marino, who works he's a works at a the commercial real estate company, Hughes Marino. And um, he said that they are just seeing a huge surge in sublease of uh, office space available. And what the statistic that I found really interesting was that it was actually in San Francisco where they saw just basically overnight, 6% of the office space available is now subleased space, which was a, a really huge jump. And to put that in perspective of how much space that is, that would be like pretty much all of downtown San Diego office space wow. for sublease. And so he's saying that the, the issue is that everyone is trying to do this now is sublease their space out and the demand is like non-existent. And so he's, you know, even if you want to get out of your lease or downsize, you may not be able to. And so that could be that could be the signal of some extra difficulty coming up for these businesses as they you know, can't get out from underneath the cost of the space. And it could also signal some difficulty for the commercial real estate sector. Mm hmm. And you also mentioned that there's a social element that we've lost uh, by working from home. I used to remember walking by the business desk, going to a little candy jar, bothering you and Jen. Uh, so what are things that are working for businesses that are kind of keeping that social element alive? Uh, things that are working for them? Mm -hmm. To be honest, the conversation's been went more like, here's what we're doing, whether yeah. it's working or not, is, is kind of still undecided or there's different opinions on that. Well, they're trying. Yeah. What a lot of companies and leaders have done is like acknowledge the social part of it, right? Um, once you're doing everything online and it's all Zoom calls and stuff, everything is kind of transactional where like there's an agenda for you to talk. There's a loss of that casual conversation that you might have at the coffee pot about your weekend. And no one's going to schedule a Zoom call just to be like, hey, let's let's talk about what's going on with your kids. <laughs> you know, like that just doesn't happen as often. And so Managers have suggested if you're going to have a Zoom call, set aside like the first 10 minutes to like catch up on some casual talk. Um, some kind of younger tech startups have taken a, a lot more aggressive approach on keeping it social where they schedule um, like Zoom happy hours where they all you know, at four o'clock technically done for the day. And as far as work goes, and they all share a drink over Zoom and they're not allowed to talk about work. It has to be like you're, you're there to just hang out and talk. Um, so, you know, those things are things people are trying, but what I heard from a lot of people who missed the social aspects said, you know, that helps, but it's, it's not really a replacement and I still want to go back to the office when I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still a thing. It's like, we're having a reckoning of how should working be, be it over equity and fairness. And these are things that can get kind of complicated when you have these kind of, you know, outside but work sanction kind of thing. So it is, I imagine, a messy subject that many businesses, particularly large ones, probably don't want to even touch. Yeah, and I think that there's, um, maybe because this is one of those things that's hard to measure, uh, a lot of managers or businesses, you know, the executives may not really understand what a huge role that social part of the office is to workers. But there's, there's quite a bit of evidence. I talked to, actually for a totally separate story more than a year ago now, I talked to people who actually research um, friendship relationships and then the, in the context of the corporate world and how closely are those things tied to things like retention and employee happiness and people actually being committed to their work. And it's like one of the number one reasons that people stay at their jobs is that social part. So it really isn't something that companies should overlook because once those social threads start to 
get there at a company, you know, there's not a lot of reasons why someone might just, you know, just take the highest offer, maybe get a job that's better for them. Or, you know, in these working remotely situations, they might leave San Diego, go to a, a market that's more affordable. There's a little bit less of an incentive to stay rooted when you don't have that social aspect. Hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, in the middle of like, uh, I think it was April, Phil Molnar, one of our colleagues tweeted, it's like, you know, Comic-Con can't go to the beach, it's raining. Why am I paying so much rent to live in San Diego right now? Yeah, it definitely feels that way right now. Mm. And if you look back at recent kind of history when it comes to working, there's been so much focus on the hustle, the idea that you got to put in those extra hours, you know, become as skilled at something or something other. We've been trained to do this for so long. Do you think COVID-19 will kind of force us to rethink that arguably toxic relationship with work that many Americans have? You know, I wonder if it'll get to a point where there's more of like a a painful reckoning before that healing process might start. Because instead, what we seem to be seeing and hearing is almost like the hustle thing still existing, but then now kind of worse because there's never a time when you check out. Uh, when you're working from home all the time, like one of the guys I interviewed said, you know, I might not respond to a message normally and, until I got to the office. But now if someone messages me at seven in the morning, I'm like, well, I, I guess my day's starting now. And then he'll still work his full day. So I think that, you know, having your desk right here by your bed and you can hear the Slack notifications going off and it's so easy to slip into that work mode. And I think that some of the burnout that people have been feeling, it's not it's not like the workload has gotten so much harder is that the release is no longer there. There's like no division anymore. And I think that can get exhausting. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the weird, you know, symptoms of, of this pandemic is that we're kind of trapped in this bubble and we kind of have to force ourselves to cut off work. Otherwise we're just kind of stuck in this 24 seven cycle, which in a way in your home is more terrifying than being in the office. Yeah. There's a lot less, distraction. And, and there's something about talking to real people that, I mean, people in person mm-hmm. that help a little bit with um, the stressful things. I think a lot of interaction via, you know, Slack or maybe social media, you don't catch all of the subtext of like body language that can help you understand someone's intentions. And so like my husband talks a lot about like, he can't tell what his coworkers want from him. And there's a lot more stress of just like, am I delivering as much as I should be. I can't tell if I'm doing a good job. And I think some of that stuff is easier in person. So there's a little bit more stress too. Yeah. It's like people say, uh, if, if you use a period, you're mad in a text while like older generations don't really understand that uh, secret Argo of millennial text communication. Yeah. Thankfully my editor now knows and she uses plenty of exclamation marks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brittany Miling. Thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, the United States hit another grim COVID-19 milestone with more than 40,000 positive cases on Friday. 11 states set their records for average number of new cases reported in the past seven days, including California. The world has taken notice. Americans are likely to be banned from traveling to the European Union because of the nation's pandemic response. During his noon update, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered Imperial County to reinstate its stay-at-home order, as that region's hospitals are now overwhelmed. Over the last 14 days, nearly one of every four people tested in Imperial County have been positive for the coronavirus, far above the statewide average of one for every 20 residents. 
More than 500 hospital patients have been transferred out of the county to relieve pressure on hospitals in that rural area. With 5,744 cases and 73 deaths, Imperial County has the highest rate of coronavirus cases per capita in California, according to the Los Angeles Times. It also has the highest test positivity rate of any county in the state, with a seven-day average of 23%, compared to 5.7% statewide. Also, San Bernardino's hospitals are nearing surge capacity, and health officials are planning alternate care sites if hospitals are filled. Here in San Diego, another restaurant was closed over failure to follow COVID-19 guidelines. Hernandez Hideaway in Escondido was found to not be following social distancing guidelines, and employees were not wearing masks. In the outbreak, county health officials confirmed another 440 cases of COVID-19, which is both a single-day highest number and a record high positivity rate. 6% of the 6,824 tests were positive. Another six people have been confirmed to have died from the virus. The county's death toll is 358. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is hosted and edited by myself, Daniel Wheaton. This podcast editor is Digital Creative Director, Beto Alvarez. If you want to join in on our recordings, like the Union Tribune on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You'll see us when we go live in the afternoons. Feel free to ask questions by commenting, and I'll work them into the conversation live. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.